Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Today we are joined by our guest host, filmmaker Heather Lenz, best known for directing and producing the Sundance documentary, Kusama Infinity. Our special guests today are filmmakers Amy Scott and Brian Morrow. Today we'll discuss two of their biographical feature films, Cheryl and Hal, both directed by Amy and produced by Brian. Cheryl, a documentary about the life and music of Cheryl Crow, recently premiered at South by Southwest and is now available on Showtime. Hal, about the rebellious and iconic filmmaker Hal Ashby, premiered at Sundance and was nominated for a Producers Guild Award and a Critics' Choice Award. Thank you so much, Claire, for the introduction, and thank you so much, Amy and Brian, for being here. And just for clarity, Amy directed the two films we're going to talk about today, and Brian produced them. And so starting off with Amy, could you please tell us, how did you connect with Cheryl Crow to make a documentary about her, and how was it um, decided that she would trust you to tell her story? Um, hi, everyone. Uh, thanks, Heather, and thank you, Claire. Um, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I wish that I could say that I had some sort of magical direct direct line <laughs> to connecting with Cheryl Crow, like call her up and uh, pitch a film to her, but um, it didn't happen that way. We were all on uh, lock, you know, kind of in lockdown during the pandemic, um, and it was... Um, Gosh, uh, uh, Jude Hope Harris, um, they are a producer from Gunpowder and Sky, had seen um, Brian and I's first film, How, about Hal Ashby, and they really loved the film. And uh, Cheryl had done a, um, I think it's called a Words and Music, it was basically like an audio, without the book, but it's sort of an audio book storytelling um, version of her life. Um, for Audible that was produced by Gunpowder and Sky. And so I think that they they had the idea that, you know, Cheryl's a great storyteller and there's something there and um, she hadn't made a film yet. So so they actually had the idea and they were looking for, um, you know, directing teams. And I think that um, our first film, Hal, really resonated with them. So so. Uh, we were fortunate in that they, they actually approached us, um, and, and it kind of went from there. Well, that is um, super interesting, and I guess the next question I had planned maybe doesn't make quite as much sense, <laughs> Brian, <laughs> I was planning to ask whose idea it was to make the film, but it sounds like we've covered that. But did in this case, did once you all teamed up, did you were you involved with pitching it to get um, financing? And if so, could you talk about that and how you eventually got a streaming deal for the film as well? Well, yeah, totally. I mean, just just 
picking up where Amy left it off, this was the, um, it basically came to us as um, already as a streaming deal from, from the get go, which was totally so different from our first experience with how, where we had, at least with the initial funding for how we crowdfunded it ourselves. And then, you know, we took it to Sundance with taking it to market. So this was totally basically the opposite where Gunpowder and Sky had put together the deal with Showtime before we were even involved in the way that Amy's being too modest about it, but Amy really beat out the rest of the competition of anybody that they were looking for to be the director of it. And I think it had a lot to do with Amy's not exactly like pitching a project for funding, but then she became where she was pitching her creative kind of take on it. And um, so it was a, it was a funded job that existed that they were looking for somebody, you know, who is the right creative fit. And um, I don't know if maybe they were just, uh, you know, <laughs> kindly stroking our egos or something, but talking to Cheryl and her team during the production. And she said that she said directly that it had to do with what we, they saw in the movie. How is what helped make the decision to go with Amy and us. So, so that was, that was a totally different, uh, you know, in terms of like funding and pitching and stuff like that, it was completely different because our job was just immediately to focus on creative instead of, on the business side of it, it was like all of that negotiating had happened. And on the back end too, it was weird because it was like, I don't know if I'm skipping ahead too much or, or ruining another question for later, but it was like <laughs> the entire strategy that every indie filmmaker knows about of trying to collect festival laurels and, you know, any awards or accolades you can get in hopes of building up some hype that, you know, like, gives you a chance of a bigger acquisition was not part of it either. Cause it was like, well, we're like, Hey, are, should we do it at this festival or this festival or this festival? And they're like, um, it's going to be on Showtime. <laughs> Remember? So we're like, Oh yeah, right. Oh, it's, it's done. It's, we don't have to sell it. It's, it's good. Okay. Oh, what should we do? We should start working on a new film. <laughs> Well, gosh, I'm so happy to hear you got to have this experience because, as you know, not everyone does. And um, it's like such a privilege to get to work on the creative and not have to go through what can be the agonizing uh, ordeal of trying to get funding for something and get someone to believe in your vision and all that. So I'm thrilled for you that this happened this way. Um, Amy, were you always a fan of Cheryl's music? And what was the most surprising thing you learned about um, Cheryl while you were making the film? I uh, admittedly only knew the hits um, because I was, or fancied myself, like, um, had like a a weirder taste in music, um, especially in college when when her hits were coming out. Um, But I was honestly like ignorant. Um, she she made you know introduced her, her first solo record after uh, the Tuesday Night Music Club. Now that I'm listening to it as like a fully formed adult and having, especially when we were when we were making the film, it's incredible. It's such an alternative, experimental. You know, um, it's so it's so highly creative. And if I'd known about it in 1995 or whenever it came out. I would have I would have loved it and I probably would have been a super fan 
which in turn, I don't know if I, we would have made um, such an honest film about her. I think when you're, I think when you are a hardcore super fan of someone, um, you're, it, things can get a little, you know, you put them on a pedestal. And um, so, so yeah, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't, you know, I knew the hits and then um, what, what I, what all of us kind of came to learn about Cheryl, we are, I had no idea that she was this incredible, like a super brain. Like she's a musical, um, you know, like an, like athlete level musician, uh, classically trained pianist. She can pick up. I mean, we, we watched her do it. We filmed her doing this in real time. She would just walk around her, her church of music or her studio and, um, you know, can can bust can go from like Stevie Wonder to Bach to, um, you know, the Beatles on the piano, and then jump on jump on over to bass and play some bass, or get up and she would wail on uh, the accordion. <laughs> and so I just I didn't I had no idea of her level of musicianship, and and I think beyond that, as a person, um, she's really really funny, and she's got a like a. Ri- you know, she's, she's intelligent, super intelligent. And with intelligence comes, you know, just like a great uh, sense of humor. So, so we've been a lot of time just, you know, we were, she was cracking us up the entire time. And that was just something that I didn't, I didn't know going into it. Um, so. <laughs> she is so funny. And I would say that everyone on our small crew became, we're super fans now. Yeah. She's great which was another very lucky, it was lucky to jump into a bio about somebody who's still alive. Um, you know, another huge difference from Hal as we were talking to lumi- uh, luminaries and people who knew him or people who his work influenced, but, you know, making Cheryl, Cheryl is alive and she's telling her own story. So it was very lucky as filmmakers that she's actually a really cool person, <laughs> not just a really talented musician and a, and a funny person, but somebody who is lighthearted and down to earth about her own story, even though it has some pretty crazy twists and turns. Yeah. I think it comes through in the film that she's very warm and just a great subject. So Brian, you already mentioned that you had already a distribution deal in place. You weren't under pressure as so many indie filmmakers are to try to get into some amazing festival to hopefully get someone to pay attention to your work and, and, um, you know, as, as you know, so many indie filmmakers take on personal debt to make their their um, films. But you didn't have to do all that. But you still got into um, a great festival. And I wonder if you could talk about your festival experience with the film and and just the experience of sharing it with audiences. Sure, totally. Well, first of all, it was just. Um, you know, I think for everybody who was there to be able to be back in festivals in person at South by was in this, in the spring was really just like um, a wild whiplash after being so disconnected and all the festivals going virtual and stuff. So this is one of the, one of the first ones that was back in person and um, it was, uh, it was thrilling to be able to share work and be around our colleagues again and um, even though, yeah, the the pressures that you're talking about are brutal, 
and I know that well, and the, the strain and stress of, you know, everybody trying to finish their film right before they get to Sundance, for instance, and then everybody gets sick at Sundance. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I missed it. I wanted it again. I wanted some of that back. And so not only did we get to go back and do that as the filmmaking crew, but Cheryl was there and she did press with us, and or I guess rather she let us come along with her while she did press she was totally, um, she just gave us a big public hug all the way through the thing. She's just constantly heaping praises on Amy and our team and, you know, just taking time with like everybody and our whole crew on the red carpet. There's some of our favorite like photos that we were shooting on our own on the side of like Cheryl with our editor, Matt Thiessen, like on the red carpet together and, yelling out for our DP who had gone to try to use the bathroom before the show started and screaming his name to get him to come take a picture with her. And it was just so fun. The the whole thing was so fun. And I mean, it was great to not be under pressure to take it to market, but you still do want it to be, there's a different, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a double-edged blade where with the streaming thing, it's like, you still do hope that somebody sees it and notices because, you know, we, there's just so many options streaming wise that you do kind of like, it's nice to know that you don't have the pressure to try to get somebody in a bidding war over it, but you also hope that anyone watches it because they, everybody has so many options. It's like you work away and pour your heart into something and kind of in some ways missed trying to collect accolades or awards from festivals for it, because that way at least I would know that my, at least our, filmmaking community would know about it and see it. Yeah, I would, well, I would add, it's just, it, it's a different, it's a different kind of pressure. And it was totally uh, our first rodeo with this kind of a situation. I mean, having a streaming deal is like, you know, when, and having a streaming deal with a subject like Cheryl, a person like Cheryl is like winning the lottery. So we were, we're always cognizant that, um, you know, it was like this amazing opportunity, but it, on the flip side, um, it's an, it's a very different kind of pressure to, um, you know, kind of answer to like a giant <laughs> streaming network um, because we didn't take, we don't approach things like, oh, it's a job for hire. Um, that's not how we roll. And that's why I think we got hired for this because we, we take everything like this is a work that we want this to be, you know, cinematic and and we want the storytelling to be you know wants us to stand out so it's not just another little thumbnail of content um that you like swipe through so even down to like like haggling over a po- uh, the poster design like we took that extreme you know we took it really seriously and i i always got the feeling like oh my god they must be just laughing at us because you know we're like you know, we just—I don't know. It was the, the pressure was still there. It, was just, it just transformed. We took it really personally. Kind of <laughs> personally, yeah. Yeah, we were probably so annoying to the apologies <laughs> if anyone at Showtime Definitely. is listening to this, and we are sorry for being so annoying, uh, naive filmmakers who really, really care about everything about the the layout of the credit block at the bottom of the poster. <laughs> 
Well, obviously you do amazing work, so I'm sure everyone at Showtime loves you. So, Amy, this is um, the second feature documentary you've directed. We've already heard a little bit about some of the differences, but um, still, I would love it. First of all, if you could just talk a little bit about um, who, uh, how Ashby is, for anyone who doesn't know, how, who originated the idea for that, how did you get the rights, and, and all of that. How did that come together? Oh, gosh. Um, well, Hal Ashby is like a seminal, um, Hollywood, like new Hollywood, 1970s um, American filmmaker, uh, kind of, you know, with along with he, he's, he was overlooked. He wasn't a, a, like a, a flashy kind of a filmmaker. So you don't know him. He's not a household name in the way that, um, you know, Scorsese or, or Lucas or Coppola but he, what he did contribute to, like, the American, you know, new Hollywood canon is, um, you know, is so influential on independent filmmakers and especially, um, you know, all of us. Uh, he made this, like, 10 films um, in the 70s. Um, Harold and Maude is a, is a cult classic. He did The Landlord with Norman Jewison, Coming Home, The Last Detail, down for glory. I mean, he made this sort of incredible string of films that went on to influence, um, you know, like David O. Russell, Alexander Payne, Allison Andrews, Judd Apatow, like all these filmmakers we featured in our film because we felt that that was such a huge point of it is like, if if you are a, a cinephile, if you love films on any level, you should know about Hal Ashby. Um, he was an editor for a long time, I think he made his first film when he was 40 years old. And at the time I was uh, an editor. That's what I was doing and aspiring to be a director. And um, I think the film came out when I was turning 40 <laughs> as well. So, um, or sometime around then, but uh, I just kind of always idolized him. Um, you know, or earlier I said, it, maybe it's not good to be like a super fan of your subject. In the case of Hal, I, I was a super fan, um, I still am, but in the process um, just learned so much about his life and uh, sort of where he came from and what drove him and where his creative, how his, what his creative process was like. And he was a really complicated individual. Um, he was a, you know, a real human in that he, you know, he made mistakes and, um, and I find that to be, you know, really fascinating. It makes him a more compelling person and individual, and I can, someone that I can identify with, um, because he's a really complicated person, a, a complicated creative artist. So, anyway, uh, in terms of how we got the project, I mean, I uh, read his uh, biography. Um, and got in touch with the author and we kind of went to work on researching him for about a year. And uh, Brian's uh, company, Shark Pig, had hired me. I was really pregnant and they'd hired me to do some editing. And uh, I was working on trying to lock down the rights to do Hal's, um, to do this documentary, but I didn't have any credits. I mean, I only had uh, editing credits <laughs> and my editing credits were, at that point, we're, we're like social issue documentaries that would screen on like PBS. Um, so it was a hard sell. Like I really had to like, I remember driving to the valley to like <laughs> present my vision to 
um, the executor of Hal's estate, which was essentially his accountant. I mean, it was like the whole scene was just ridiculous. He had like a like a an old school like um, answering machine with a mini cassette recorder. I remember sitting at his desk like, oh my god, I'm trapped in it is 1975 in this room, or it's more like 1981. <laughs> it felt like, and um, somehow like hold them on my vision and then I was like oh shit I need uh actually if we're gonna make it though like I need like experienced people I need like an experienced team I need producers oh my god and it was and fortunately like the divine fates had put me and shark had a line shark pig and 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 me at the right time so it kind of went from there not that we were any more experienced. I mean, I, I love that you're saying that, that you needed experienced people, and I'm sorry that all you got was us because we also <laughs> didn't have any credits. So <laughs> we, it, was, it, was, it was fully Indiana people the whole time of, that we were capable of doing it. But we – Shark Big is the production company that I co-own with our Amy and I's other producer, Jonathan, um, and – we had done, you know, we'd been in business for almost 10 years at that point, but mostly just making ads and branded content. And so we'd done hundreds and hundreds of jobs, but we had no movie credits under our belt either. So it was tough to get it kind of, Amy's the one who, I mean, Amy had some heroic lifts with Hal at different points, but Amy's the one that got it going. And then it was, sort of like once you had the rights, it was tough to get anyone to say they wanted to do it until Jane Fonda said that she would do it. And once yep. that first, she kind of kicked the snowball down the hill and it started growing from there. Once you, you have somebody, then you can get somebody else. And then once you have that list of here's the people who are in it and it, it's all these luminaries, then it was like people started to line up to be in it, which was really great. And that, that has to do with how too because they yeah. wanted to do it for him. Yeah. Well, it's an amazing film. One of the things I really love about it are the cutaway shots you did with the vintage telephones that are like avocado green or mustard yellow. <laughs> and then there's like typewriters. And as time passes, it's like an early, you know, 80s keyboard kind of thing. And you see the passage of time. But the shots are really gorgeous. They look like they're out of, you know, Mad Men or something. The the um you know just the extreme close-ups on the on these different things like someone rolling a joint and all of this stuff it just really <laughs> adds to the vibe and um do you have anything to say about um working on those well i i will say that um i you know brian and i are co-directing a film right now like officially co-directing and i would say this is that what you're talking about is is very much brian morrow and our art director, Sarah Pott, she's incredible. Um, that was like a really big, because I didn't, I didn't realize the level that you could storytell, that you could sort of put your mark on a film in that way. Like I was, I was like kind of had my head in, you know, these interviews and wasn't really thinking about the larger picture creatively, how we could add these things that would just really em, em, embellish and sort of elevate um, you know, the just have it be this fun thing to look at. And so, like, you know, uh, rolling a joint and, and the telephones and all that, that was, that was definitely Brian's um, – um, that was your mark on that for sure, one of many, but that definitely was. And it was really fun to, sh- to, <laughs> to shoot those things. 
those were really fun to shoot. And uh, I remember it's funny that we're keep bringing up rolling the joint specifically because those are my, uh, my hands are Hal's hands in the movie. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually really, really terrible at rolling joints. <laughs> but I'm not. trying to do the first one and everyone, and we had it all lit and like, you know, framed up and everything. Right. Like, okay, go ahead. It looks great. Roll a joint. And I'll like start trying to do it. And everyone's just, I can see everyone's face turning well, into a frown and going, Brian, didn't you go to college? I mean, what are you exactly. doing? <laughs> it really betrayed like, oh, a lot man. about like what kind of a person you were in college. I was like, oh God, just give it to me. I got this. Like, we were rolling, like, I was like, maybe it should be like almost done already or I'm sorry, guys. I'm not so good at this part, <laughs> surprisingly. But yeah, the, all the the details that you, I love that you remember those details about the phone and yeah. that it went into the '80s and stuff. And that's totally Hal has three different um, director of photographies, which speaks to how <laughs> long it lasted Indeed. and how independently done it was. That it was piecemealing even together crew <laughs> at times in that way. And all of them were great, but by the the end, the director of photography who was shooting all those recreation scenes is the the director of photography who did Cheryl with us, Jonathan Narducci, and his him in combination with Sarah Pot, getting all that um, all those props and and making them period specific and uh, building out all those little vignettes. We just we just sort of locked ourselves away. We blacked out the studio and just shot in there for, I think, two days. But we had, it was like over 100 shots or something to plow through, yeah. and we did it right at the very end. We were doing the, <laughs> the end, the, the shot of the mimeograph, I think, you know, a day before we needed to send it off to color to, for Sundance yep. deadline to make it. It's like ridiculous. But that was a really fun part of it for sure. Yeah, well, I love those shots. I think they're amazing. And Brian, it sounds like you need to get like a hand model shot in 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 the credits. And I say this because recently I was talking to someone who was working on a project, and I read. Uh, unfortunately, I don't remember this person's name, but they have a um, credit as a hand model in Art School Confidential. Have you ever seen that film? <laughs> oh yeah. It sounds like maybe not. But if you haven't, worth a watch. It's a sort of wild, crazy indie film. But anyways, um, someone's listed as the um, hand model who was doing the drawings, and I was just, like, loving that they got that credit. But anyway, off topic here. So, Well, no, it's not. It's, it's in Brian, and, Brian and Jonathan's hands are also in Cheryl as well, like holding, like pouring a drink and holding up the poetry book. And then my daughters are also cast as, young Cheryl. So we, we try to put everyone in the movies as well. I love that. I love that. Well, we've talked about already some of the challenges of, um, well, all sorts of challenges <laughs> facing indie filmmakers. Is there anything in particular, um, Brian, you would like to add about the challenges associated with making biographical documentaries about high profile people? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, I mean, there's the i i guess i feel like there's um uh especially with like reality tv being so prevalent and us becoming so used to that format which is sort of more of a short-term sensationalism you know it's like reality tv is fun because 
you can take little moments that are actually pretty meaningless. Like, oh, we were all drunk at the beach and so-and-so said, what? And it turns it into like this whole thing that lasts through the commercial break. And then you have a recap of it in that episode. Like, you know, they take a little nothing moment and turn it into a huge thing. And um, when you're trying to do something, you know, like that encapsulates or has a story that, that is pretty sweeping through somebody's entire life. It's like, there's obviously actually way too much material in someone's life in anyone's life, much less a high profile, somebody who lived a life where they were, you know, famous or like having big accomplishments and in the public space, then there's just going to be too much story to tell. And, um, I think there's, something really cool about the the difference when you're working in a movie that you can shift away from that kind of exploitative thing where you're trying to create drama and more like take the truth and cut everything else away you know that doesn't fit and it's not because they're not good stories it's because you literally have a mandate to try to make sure that the film is no longer than a hundred minutes with credits from Showtime, then you <laughs> have to cut, you have to cut a lot out. And I don't know. I think, uh, since the, the biopic is such a like exploding genre, I, I would just say to, I, I hope that my fellow filmmakers and the chance that we get to do more of that in that same field is that is a, maybe a call for some slightly more considerate or maybe even would say ethical choices about whether or not we when we take care of people's stories and air Mm -hmm. out their their hardest moments and most formative life you know the pivots that they had in life publicly on put it on the internet and on streaming services for anyone to see that we should maybe take care of them (laughs) a little bit we should maybe be a little more considerate and take care of them instead of trying to be exploitative for drama's sake. And that's not to throw anyone else under the bus. It was just more that I sort of found that the, the best story turns and the stuff that made Cheryl the best and made Hal the best were sometimes were hard things that happened to them, but that were just that finding some truth and like taking care of it was where we found the best stuff. I don't know. That's kind yeah, of a little, definitely. A little definitely. new agey sounding or something. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think it also speaks a little bit to a trend I've noticed of more and more high profile people being executive producers and so forth on their own films and really controlling the rights and controlling the film and everything. And another thing you didn't talk about is that, um, you know, for people who are still doing the indie thing, applying for grants and so forth, a lot of the high profile grantors don't support films that are biographical documentaries. They only Mm -hmm. support um, social issue films, which of course, sometimes Mm -hmm. there are social issues wrapped into these things as well, but um, there's a real divide. And um, so. um, Yeah. I'd like to comment on that. Um, (laughs) Despite the fact that we had this great, you know, wonderful streaming opportunity, like we, we, um, I get turned down for grants. Uh, on the regular <laughs> I write them and I don't get them and that's happened for the last 10 years so we never we never got a single oh no we, we got the we went to IF you guys went to IFP market um, for how but um, yeah biopics are, are rare uh, to get a grant we I just got turned down <clears throat> for one a couple weeks ago 
So we're still in the trenches. Like you don't, and that's another thing. We're so naive because after we made the Hal film, we thought, oh God, we're going to get all these. It's going to sell. And, and it was, uh, you know, Brian and I were talking about this yesterday. Like it was, of course, like our luck that it was the one year, it was the year that Netflix decided to disrupt the market and sit it out. And it um, made, uh, it, it was, it was awful because <laughs> we couldn't sell the film um, for anywhere close to what we spent it. And, you know, their Brian's company kind of, you, you, you eat it. I mean, you, you eat it financially and hope, you know, hope that it pays off in the long run, long term, the Hal Ashby film probably ultimately will have made our careers cumulatively, but, um, it's hard to see that in the moment where you're like, oh, my God, I have to go get a day job because that didn't uh, work out the way that I thought. In the same sense that after Cheryl aired on Showtime, I thought, we all thought, um, great, we're going to have all these film deals. They're just going to be, you know, banging down the door to give me another film deal. That didn't happen either. I mean, I, we still have to, like, our pitch roster or, like, they have a whiteboard at the office that's, like, um, maybe there's, like, 15 or 20 different films on there that are all in development that we get up every day and kick the can around creatively and talk about, you know, what would be good about this film and how we could pitch it. And um, it's constant. It's relentless. <laughs> and it's constantly changing because, you know, yeah. some of them get some traction and somebody's, like, you know, somebody's interested in it and and different, you know, like from all different areas, not just streaming, but from all different ways of trying to develop the, the projects. And they'll, some of them will get really far and then just fall apart in the last <laughs> hour. Oh, there's yeah. somebody who's closely connected to them who really doesn't want them to do this. And so they're kind of throwing a wrench in the gears. And it's like you can sink months and months of effort and, you know, whatever resources that you to, you know, develop materials for it. And we actually usually have, we found better luck with developing actual, you know, reels, like actually going and trying to just shoot something instead of sending decks, like pitch decks all the time or, and also pitching in person. But it's like, it can go on and on for months and be, seem really like, yeah, this is going to actually happen. And then for things that well, are totally out of your control, it's not, it's never going to happen. <laughs> The film that we're co-directing now, Brian and I pitched on Zoom for, we we, test, we shot a proof of concept test reel, we did a deck, and then we pitched it relentlessly, did our whole song and dance for every streamer in Hollywood for over a year before anyone kind of came around and was like, oh yeah, it's actually a good idea. <laughs> like, this is never going to get made. It's a stroke of luck now, finally. Well, that's, it's not luck, it's actually the opposite. It's a great story, and we believed in it, but it was a tireless effort of pitching for well over a year. And do you want to tell us what it's about, or is it a secret? I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I don't know if we can yet. Um, okay, but All it's right. really I good. It's really try to good. figure out. I was trying to figure out if I could text you and say, "Can we talk about it, or should we not talk about it yet?" <laughs> well, I'll tell you that. Yeah, Here's ahead. what I can say. It's, um, and this is part of the reason why we're like over the moon thrilled. It's it's about an artist, a creative artist, but it's not a biopic. So in, in that sense, it's a very, it's different. And it's something that for us is just the most exciting way to flex creatively. It's verite. 
And so we get to kind of, you know, explore storytelling in this new way. And it's just like, we spent all day in the edit bay yesterday watching down all the dailies. And it's like the most exhilarating feeling to, to know that, like, we don't have to go track down archival for this. It's in the moment. It's, it's happening right now. It's real and it's very much alive. So. Well, again, kudos to you for um, getting something big made. So uh, when you're, you know, when it's done and you can talk about it, we'll have to have you back. Um, And I just, I did, before we move on, I wanted to add one thing about those grants, which are obviously so competitive, but, um, you know, you can't win a grant for a biographical film if the the funder is really literally not supporting biographical. So it almost seems like they need to have – like even also different categories for awards for these kinds of docs, because obviously the emphasis is always on social issue docs. And um, it would be sort of like if Hollywood said like, oh, we're only going to support like rom-coms or we're only going to support, you know, action films or, you know what I mean? And kind of like throw the rest away. So anyway, you know, I, I um, salute you for moving forward with it. And I know we don't have a ton of time left. So, um, uh, Amy, can I just ask, do you need to wrap up right at 945 just so I can streamline as needed? I think as long as we just have a call, at, um, at, <laughs> we have a, a pitch call basically at 10 o'clock. For another <laughs> okay, all right. All right, okay. Well, I will, I will so be right until um, then. Okay, so let's see. Uh, Amy, do you have any advice for first-time filmmakers that you would like to share? Oh my gosh, the only advice that I, or the the only, (laughs) I still consider myself a very, you know, young in my career. Um, I think you have to, I think you have to find your people. Um, I lived in Chicago for 10 years before I moved to LA. It was like another life ago. And I was a struggling editor. Um, Like I said, I was cutting the social issue docs, which are great films. And it was a really fulfilling, rewarding way to spend my time. And I was learning, you know, a tool in the toolkit of being a filmmaker, um, ultimately wanting to be a director, but I couldn't find my people. So it made it really hard. I think filmmaking, at least the kind of filmmaking that I want to do, is just not, it's not a solo effort. Um, I, 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 tried to do it that way and it was extremely difficult um like I bought it you know saved up my money bought a shitty camera learned editing tried to do all that all of it myself to really yield like extremely poor results so I think when you can find your people and your team you you can um you can dream bigger you can have you know your ideas can take shape and and it's more fun that way so that that would that was my kind of when I finally moved to LA and um, I found this group of filmmakers, uh, Shark Pig, and then everyone that sort of works with them. Um, Brian mentioned our, our DP. Um, he's extremely creative. Our editor is extremely creative. He's also a director. Like there's just a posse of people that um, can change hats at any moment. And we all are supporting each other's ideas. So for me, that was, that was a real game changer and probably the most meaningful step that I could do beyond, you know, like you can go to film school. Um, I went to to like, I went to the university of Oklahoma. Like there, it was not a prestigious film program, but um, I learned, I certainly learned more when I came out to LA and started putting all the things into practice with people that I love working with. 
And Brian, do you have any advice for first-time filmmakers you would like to share? I have lots. I have lots. I think people on my people in my crew know that I have some. I, I I'll try to not go into any of the angry rant type <laughs> of advice and just say that. I mean, I don't know. I think Hal Hal probably has the best, the best advice. There's a quote from him that's in our film, how his voice that he recorded at a seminar. And he says, the film will tell you what to do. And I think it's, it is just about at a certain point, what, regardless of what resources you have, um, you just have to get in there and start making with whatever, you know, whatever quality or gear or whatever that you have, there's, there is a creativity that can be tapped into, which is just as powerful as anybody else who has the, the backing of a funded project or whatever else. Um, and if you can get in there and actually, you know, be messing around with the, the, the film, the film will tell you what to do. And if you can follow through that all the way to the end, then you'll have something. And if nothing else, if it's not something that leads you directly to like a, a project that is a, you know, a career thing, not just an art thing, it will be a learning step that'll get you closer it's just, I, I just want to see, I just want to see filmmakers working and making their own stuff, not mm-hmm. waiting around to get permission, you know, or to be hired to do something that somebody else gives on the agenda. Well, that's great advice. So, um, just to start to wrap up, uh, obviously Cheryl's on Showtime. For anyone who hasn't seen How, where can they currently see that film? I think that it's currently it's it's just out there for um for rent or purchase now on the on the usual streaming places like you can find it on Amazon. I think it just switched out of Prime. It's actually not on Prime anymore. But you can find it the usual places out there. Okay, I great. Think you can and buy a DVD oscilloscope um oscilloscope laboratories of of the Beastie Boys. Um they they were our distributor, so I think that you could buy a DVD from them as well. Oh, yeah. They've made those cool. really cool limited edition Blu-rays that have a really great, yeah. interesting mm-hmm. cover and stuff. Yeah. Nice, nice. Not everyone gets uh, DVDs made of their film anymore, so good for you. And, um, Amy, could you please share with us your um, website, your social media handles, um, all that good stuff for people who would like to follow your career? Oh gosh, um, the only thing I would say I, I, I have a website. Um, I'm pretty <clears throat> pretty terrible at marketing, and I don't think I have a Twitter account um, or I haven't logged on since 2016. I don't think, and the Instagram is really just pictures of my children. So my website is uh, Amy. Li- <clears throat> I'm sorry, <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> Which is, I do have a blog on there that I occasionally update. <laughs> pictures of all of us. Great. And Brian, what about you? Um, yeah, I'm I'm guilty in the same way of what Amy's describing, but you can find you can find our work and what's going on with us at sharkpig.com and then that the social the social stuff is connected to that, but it is a Great. it's tough to do the marketing, isn't it? <laughs> it's so exhausting. Especially if you it's, happen it's to so be, if you get a gig and you're working, then it's a, then that's and when I, you're supposed I to know. talk about it the most. But it's it's like you're busy working. I'm working. I can't. I don't exactly, have time to do that. Exactly. 
Well, Brian, I also wanted to give you an opportunity to give a shout-out to your um, partner at Shark Pig, and I would also love to hear how you came up with the name of your company. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and anybody who works on our crew knows that our that my partner, Jonathan Lynch, is his name, is the one who holds all of us together. Mm-hmm. We've, Amy yes. and I frequently joke that he's like the cat herder of the of the collective <laughs> because he keeps all of us we'll we'll get all you know like Amy was saying we get exhilarated by watching dailies so you can imagine what we're like when we're actually on location filming or like you know on touring with a a, a big <laughs> musician and being able to film on stage with them and stuff we get all riled up and he keeps us he keeps <laughs> he keeps the wheels on the vehicle and it moving towards the goal in many, many different ways um, as our executive producer at the company, but also as our producer as, on all the films. And and I wish I had a better story about how we came up with the name Shark Pig, but I, what I can say is that we tried to – we worked as crew guys on, like, in L.A. for uh, eight years or something when we started – talking about the question of why don't we just start our own company and get our own clients and then go, but how do you get clients if you don't have a company and how do you make a company if you don't have clients? And, but <laughs> so it took us like a year before we solved those questions. And, but in that whole time we were trying to think of names and we tried to think of all these cool, like, you know, sciencey names, like I want to call it like, you know, some random like thing about a particle, like isotope or catalyst or something like that. And anything that I could even think of that, that I would think was so random and deep down in there. Like it means this Jonathan, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Then I'd just Google it. And it was already a production company in Los Angeles. I'm like, Oh no. (laughs) So eventually when the name shark pig popped into my head, which is really a, just a totally dumb story about a dog looking for scraps underneath the table. And we called the dog a pig and he was moving in a shark like fashion. And I said, this pig is sharking around under here. And I went, Eureka. And everyone went, that's a terrible name for a company. You can't name it then. I said, Oh really? What's a better name? I've thought about it for 18 months. <laughs> like, and they're like, I don't know, something's cooler than that. I'm like, no, Shark Pig, that's what it is. <laughs> Memorable. The website's available. <laughs> yeah, that is an important thing, trying to, trying to get the website and all those social handles. Uh, is, uh, is there any final thing you would like, either of you would like to share with us before we close out and you go prep for that pitch? <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, thanks for having <laughs> us on. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks. It was super fun. And, um, yeah, I look forward to having you back when you're able to talk about your current project. Thank you, Heather. Yeah, thanks. And thank you, Claire. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're welcome. So happy to have all of you on the show today. Thank you. All right. take, Take care, everyone, and be well. Thanks. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. 
Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at FromTheHeartProductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. W Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.